0: Well, we are continuing the message, Why Church? Last week, we started with a message called Lone Sheep Equals Wolf Food, and we talked about why we need the church, why it's a really bad idea to try to go it alone, and that was really interesting, and I, I just meant to give you guys this sense that we need each other, right? But one huge question still remains, and that is this question. What is church, anyway? Have you ever been asked by somebody what is church it's actually kind of a rare question has anybody ever had that question I haven't either do you know why we all think we know what it is. because we all think we know what it is man thank you Chris and that is so dangerous because most people just think it's this but it's not this right? <laughs> it's not that like, the whole reason the live church covers slide works is because we all look at that little guy in the corner right, and we think well there's the church that's why it's not just a city, but we're going to discover today that the church actually is not shown in this picture. Huh? Ah! Oh man! Thank God oh, I got snaps and everything else. So. breach. Come on! So we're going to go through some different things, and then at the end, I kind of have, I've put my own definition of what church is, you know, in, into a sense. Now I know this is. Obviously, books are written on this. Everybody who writes a commentary and has five doctorates has a very scholarly definition of what church is. But I wanted to research it myself and see if I couldn't come up with my own working definition of church that's not heresy. Also, good (laughs) when you do this kind of thing. So I researched some things and I came up with what I think is a pretty good definition. You could add to it, you could subtract some from it, but it's a lot better than this definition. Let's get right started here. We are going to do what a lot of Christians do. We're going to start with Jesus and end in Paul. That was a joke. I don't know if he is. Maybe it's better at seminary. All right. But we are going to start with Jesus. And we're going to end with what Paul says about it. Let's read Matthew 16, 18 together. Jesus has just said, who do you say that I am? And everybody's like, well, gosh, I don't know. This is what everybody says. And he says, who do you say that I am? And of course, our man, Peter, pipes up. Full throttle all the time, right? He's like, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. Jesus gives him the big attaboy, and then he says this. And I tell you that you were Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We're going to find three points in this verse about church before we move on to Paul. Interesting note. Only in the book of Matthew does Jesus use the word church. Okay? And we're going to learn some things about what he meant by church in this passage. First of all, don't tell my professors I'm using Greek already. But the Greek word here for church is ekklesia. And yes, I know how to pronounce it because I asked a real scholar, Pastor Mark Morris. (laughs) Ekklesia. Well, guess what? This is from two Greek words. Ek actually means to call out. And then the second word is a derivative of another one that means an assembly. An assembly of people. So it's a called assembly. It's a special group. Now, not only is it a popular meeting or a group of of people, it has a particularly religious significance, although it doesn't have to. In Christian circles, it absolutely does. And the way Jesus is using it here does have a religious significance. How do we know? Because a lot of people in Jesus' time spoke Greek. And they had the Old Testament, which was written largely in their own language, and they were translating it into Greek. And we have some copies of the Old Testament. And in passages where they talk about the assembly of Israel, the people, they use this word. The ecclesia. So it's a gathering of people. Jesus came to build something. He told Peter, I'm going to build my church. He did not immediately start doing his carpentry thing, did he? He didn't say, you're going to help. Let's go. Grab those boards. James, you get the nails. Judas... You carry the concrete. You've earned it. You know? He's not building a building. He's building a group of people. Okay? Let's move on. This is an interesting note from someone who happened to write the Baker exegetical commentary on the New Testament, the Matthew section, who also happens to teach at my seminary. Pretty cool. Dr. Turner. Everybody say, thank you, Dr. Turner. Thank you, Dr. Turner. Here's an interesting... Note on this passage. He says one cannot divorce the church and the kingdom. And the church is the agency that extends the kingdom on earth. Interesting thing about Matthew. The gospel of Matthew is all about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of God. He's preaching the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom. The kingdom is near to you. Kingdom, 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 kingdom. But this idea of the gathering of Jesus' people and the kingdom... They touch, man. It's real hard to see where one stops and the other begins. So you can't separate cleanly this idea of what is the church and what is the kingdom. And yet, the church is also the agent that he uses to expand the kingdom. So it's an interesting note on this group that Jesus is building. Come on, Google. Yes. Again, Dr. Turner, what do we mean when we say kingdom? This is a succinct and plain definition. The kingdom refers to the nearness or even the presence of the rule of God. So we can say that the kingdom of God has come to a place when he is extremely near or maybe his rule has actually come. That's why Bill Johnson, you know, his whole heaven on earth movement, you know, somebody's in a wheelchair. He's like, we need to bring the kingdom here. Why does he say that? Because in the kingdom of God, there are no wheelchairs. Because people don't have injuries like that. And so when somebody gets healed, he's he's like, This is kingdom. The kingdom has come here. Why? Because it agrees with the way things should be. All right? God's rule was manifested in this healing. Interesting. So the church and the kingdom are linked. Now, Matthew 16 is an interesting verse because Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? Peter answers. And then he tells Peter he's going to give him the keys. Do you guys remember this? And we argue about what do the keys mean? Is it just Peter? Is it the apostles? Is it all believers? Is it just the Pope? We argue about this. But Dr. Turner cites several other people, and he comes to this conclusion, that by giving him the keys, he's giving them authority. He is guarding who comes in and who doesn't come in to the kingdom. Well, what was the criteria in this passage? The criteria was the confession you know who I am. I'm I'm Lord and Messiah. And I want you to make sure that the kingdom is open to people who also acknowledge me as Lord and Messiah. But those who don't, can't enter the kingdom, i.e. church. We read between the lines. This tells us a little bit about what it takes to get in to this assembly of people. We either enter with Peter's same confession or not at all. You don't enter the church by coming in those Amazing, relatively new, shiny glass doors. Thank you, Moulders Glass. We needed those for years. I'm still happy when I look at those doors. But you don't come into the church by walking in those doors. You come in by the confession. Let's move in. The church is offensive. No, wait, hold on. Offensive. There we go. Although to some it is both. <laughs> we learned from this passage that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Why are the gates, which don't move, why are they in conflict with the church? Because the church is on offense, all right? We are going out. What does Jesus say? He said, go out, not hunker down, right? He didn't say, get ready, they're coming, did he? He said, get ready and go get them. Uh So he's looking forward. He's saying, the gates of Hades can't win. They're going to see you coming and bar up, and man, it's going down. You're on offense, Read the Armor of God passage in Ephesians. Nothing is guarding your rear end because the enemy shouldn't be back there anyway. They should be here. Does that make sense? So this tells us what the group of God is supposed to be doing. And even when evil seems to be on the offense, it's because we're invading its territory. Right? If we fly over to England and we attack England for absolutely no good reason, maybe we're angry that Doc Martens haven't changed in style since the 60s. So we decide to invade. You know, there may come a time when they attack us, but they're only attacking us because we're in their country, right? Mm. Guys, the church is in the devil's territory. And Jesus says, take ground. So let's recap. What is church? Well, point one of three, because I'm a preacher. The people under Jesus' lordship representing and spreading his kingdom on earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. That was a a good one. That was a good one. I like it. Next point, it's also Christ's body. Don't tune out on me. If you've grown up in church, you hear, "Uh oh yeah, okay. Yep, church is the body of Christ. You ever ask yourself what in the world that means? Well, let's let's ask right now. What does it mean to be Christ's body? Well, the first part is this body's got a head, and it's got a body. Jesus (laughs) is the head. Here's some verses from Ephesians. I took only the last half of the verse because Paul makes the point I want to make in the last half, but feel free to read it all. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Ephesians 4, 15. Christ is the head of the body, his church, and is himself its savior. And that's out of Ephesians 5. So imagine that Christ is life, right? It says that in him is life, and he gives life So it's as if we're this pretty powerful body, the church is pretty big now, and he's the life though, he's the directing force, he's all the energy, he's the vine, we're the branches apart from him, we can do nothing. So it's like the head comes down and joins the body and gives it life and makes it mobile and what's our job? We're on offense, right? Kicking the enemy's butt, taking ground. So I do not know a better way to illustrate this than my favorite movie, yes. Pacific Rim. And if you've been here for longer than a year and a half and you thought I was going to preach on church without using Pacific Rim or Voltron, That's shame it. on you. And you need to repent. So way up there, I like this picture because the head is almost in the clouds, right? It's almost obscured. And, you know, he's got a trained car in his hand. He's going to whoop up on a big monster. The whole movie's a parable. I recommend it. Oh. But that amazing body doesn't have any life until the amazing scene where the guys controlling it go in the head and they drop the head down into the body. And it's a pretty epic scene. And then the body snaps the life and it like pounds its fists together and he's ready to go take care of business. But no head, no life in the body. Make sense? We're the body of Christ, but we're utterly dependent on Jesus for life and direction. Does it make sense? Yes. But we're not just dependent. We're also individuals, aren't we? And we're a harmony of different parts, different gifts. Read 1 Corinthians 12, and imagine that Paul is writing to a large group of people that are one nasty, knotted, bird's nest of personality conflict. All right? And he's trying to sort it out. Like, how can I possibly make these people live together and be nice? Much less be this body of Christ. And, and read it in that light. I'll read a part of it here. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We're not just this one thing, right? We're lots of things. We're lots of people, unique people, but we come together to form something amazing and powerful that wouldn't be as amazing and powerful without us. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? (laughs) And it is... I just thought it sounded funny. I'll share it. And as it is, there are many parts yet one body. Remember the old horror movies like The Hand, The Brain, blah, blah, blah. Why were they scary? Because it's just one thing acting like a whole thing, right? It's just a hand acting like a whole body. Creepy, right? It's not a whole body. It's a hand. shouldn't act like a real person. We're not that. We're a whole bunch of different members... And we come together and form something fantastic. We're pretty fantastic on our own once we're in Christ. But who has seen the new Jungle Book movie? <laughs> <What>? Yeah, <laughs> me and Grant. <laughs> what? Thought I'd hate it. I hate my words. Right? The strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Yeah, I take sermon illustrations from everywhere. I can't help it. So we'll watch it. Oh, I just bothered. I'm sorry, Keith. So I don't know a better way to illustrate this. Who knows what's coming, by the way? Does anybody know what's coming? Who knows me? Just go for it. I'm doing it. Oh, that's right. This is the body coming together to form a new thing. Get ready. My childhood. Look at the lightning. Just imagine its glory. Four feet and light. Four arms and body. I had a two and a half foot full And I'll form the head. It's beautiful. It's like they're reading scripture. <laughs> and they're lions. Come on. Come on. Can we have some some celestial glory? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Unwitting prophecy from the Japanese. (laughs) We're the body in Christ. Come on, that's pretty good. I know, I'm cheesy. I can't help it. it. It's all right. So the head is distinct. We need it for life, but we also bring something to the table. But have you ever thought about what it means to be Jesus' body? Jesus said something so audacious when he was on earth, they remembered it. And when he was on the cross, they mocked him with it. He said something that shook the very core of their existence. He attacked what their lives and their city revolved around. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll build it back again in three days. What was he talking about? His body. Himself. Now we're the body of Christ. Guess what that makes us? together, collectively. Sacred space. We are sacred space. The group of people God is building is sacred space. This is out of 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you're God's temple? And that you there in the Greek is a plural you. It means y'all in English. Don't you know that y'all doesn't sound as scholarly, but it's true. Y'all are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in you all. If anyone destroys God's temple... That means by bringing division and disharmony to the group here, guys. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you, plural, are that temple. Division gets no second chance. Actually, it does get a second chance in the Bible, but it gets no third chance. They're like, you warn somebody who's divisive once. And the second time, you drop the hammer. Like, you don't find that kind of harsh language about almost anything else in Scripture But division is a big, big deal. Because this is the temple we're talking about. If you're Christ's body, you are sacred space. Individually, but also this, even more so. This is God's sacred space. I've managed to get out of presenter view. And I'm back. I love Google. Praise Him. So what is church? We're the people under Jesus' lordship representing and spreading his kingdom on earth. And we are the sacred, physical representation of Christ on earth. And there's more. We are also a unity. Very rarely in my life have I ever wished I had a larger platform. You know, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be on TV. I'm never one of those guys. But this burns in my heart so furiously that I almost wish I had a literal soapbox and a megaphone. We are a unity. okay? I touched on that just a second ago with the division point, but this is something we have to realize. There's a lot of talk about unity right now because there's a lot of talk about division, okay? But reality is not something we are striving for. Unity is not. Unity is a reality. It's not an ideal. It's the reality, not the ideal. And here's what I mean by that. When God is sitting up in heaven looking at his church, he doesn't see a dismembered body that he wishes we'd get together. He sees one unified body that he died to make and he wishes we'd act like it. Huge difference. Small change, huge difference. It's a reality. Let's read Ephesians. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Let's pause. When Paul says both here, he's talking about the division between Jews and Gentiles. So read that, the Jews and every other people group in the entire world. So even though he's saying the two, he literally means everybody. Everybody in the world. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments as expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself One new man. Somebody say, one new man. One new man. In place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Killing the hostility. Unity is the reality. We don't strive for it like it would be really nice if we could get it because that's the ideal. It is what we realize and then act in accordance with We are unified. The early church took this to an extreme. And David Guzik's commentary on the Blue Letter Bible, he's not a super scholar, but he is a pastor. And he has some excellent pastoral things to say about this chapter. I'm going to share some quotes. This is from him. The early Christians thought of themselves as a third or new race. This went so deep that the way they understood, like, my whole life as a Jew, I have never wanted to associate with you Gentiles. And the Gentiles have resented the Jews because they were snobby and weird their whole life. Now they're together under Christ. The only way they can reconcile that is by embracing Ephesians with all their might and saying, we're something new. We don't have to worry about all that. We don't have to sort it out because those people are dead anyway in Christ. And now we're this new thing. They recognize that they were not Jews and not Gentiles, but one new man embracing all who are in Jesus. You know, I do not have the answer for the, I think is the intentional re-flaring of racism in America. There, I feel like we, the media and other people, we want it to burn hot now. I don't understand why, but it's like intentionally being brought to the service and the, the coals have been rustled and new dry leaves have been thrown on and they're carrying the fuel over and we want to burn that fire hot. I don't understand why culture is doing that. But I do have the answer for the church. Stop it. You're one new man. One new man. Focus on that. Here's another quote that will help us. And Guzik is quoting another commentator named Wood. As Chrysostom, the early church father, explained, it's not that Christ has brought one people up to the level of the other, but that he has produced a greater as if one should melt one statue of silver and another statue of lead, and the two mixed together come out gold. It's new and it's better. This one's even more of a punch right in the jaw. The wall of separation is gone because the common lordship is greater. Somebody say greater. Greater, greater than any previous division. If the lordship of Jesus Christ is not greater, than any difference. And these next few sentences, I want you to know that I endorse them 150%. And if you don't like that, we should talk. If that lordship is not greater than any difference you have with others, be it political, racial, economic, language, geographic, or whatever, then you have not fully understood what it means to be under the lordship of Christ. Yes. If your world is not revolving around that sum, your world will collide with someone else's world in the church. Because you are orbiting something you have no business orbiting. That will not guard the unity of this body. The only thing we can orbit around is our identity in Christ as a new man. Does that make sense? That's how we get unity in the church. We latch onto that reality and we do the hard work of finding out what it means to live that way. Amen? Amen. Amen. So... Church is. Church is a group of people, citizens of and expanders of the kingdom of God. We are Christ's body. What does that mean? Physical representations of him on earth, a harmony of parts, and sacred space. We are a new and unified people. So let's scrunch all that together and let's come up with our very own, unofficial, new divine definition of church. Here we go. The church is the sacred gathering of God's people who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. The church represents and extends God's kingdom on earth as His very body and lives in unity as one new people under His authority. It is not a dang building. (laughs) Wondered if I should put that last sentence on there, and I decided yes, yes, I should. Yes, I should so when people ask you what church do you go to maybe we should give them the answer that Paul would have given I meet at the church that meets at my church meets at so and so place my church meets here why are you using such funny language well because the church is actually God's special gathering of people what in the world does that mean well check it out now you get to talk a little more which is good because you have something good to give when somebody asks you what church you go to, take that opportunity. Somebody asked me in the steam room today, I just worked out with Keith, and they like, what church do you go to? And I was like, oh. Now's not the time to launch into my sermon. I'm like, you know, but we did bring it around. It was good. But guys, we have so much more to give people than an address. The answer to that question is so much deeper and so much more life-giving than just the location. Give them a taste of what church is and who you are. And hopefully you'll have a chance to invite them into it for real, not entering by the front door, but entering by the confession. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.